Okay, tonight we are going to do it on wounds of rejection, healing the root of rejection. How many of you have ever experienced rejection in your life? Me never. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the third grade, and oh, there was this cute little boy, and he and I were best friends, and everybody, you know, kind of put us together, and you know, Valentine's comes, and you have that one Valentine in your box that you can't get rid of to anyone else. It just said be mine on it. You know, it wasn't overdone, but it, you know, it was the great big one. So anyway, you're sitting there in third grade, and so he has all this stack there, and he gets to mine. And man, my heart's trembling as he opens the one that I have for him. And I've glued some of those little candy things to him, made sure nothing was too personal. You know, he pulls that Valentine out, and as he opens it, I watch him read it. You know, your heart's beating. It's the first sign of love in your life. And then he takes it, and he starts to tear it. And he starts tearing it into little bitty pieces. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the roots of rejection go deep into your soul. And every time you think of, how many times have you put yourself out on the line to only have yourself, you know, like torn out of you? You know, some people, they just can reach into your soul and pull your heart out. Roots of rejection. How many times have it bit you? I had something happened in a three-day period. I had a person in my life... And they just disappointed me. It was just like a hurt. And it was like all of a sudden they were taking that valentine out and they're just tearing it into bits in front of you. Then you're just sitting there thinking, man, just the root of rejection and you just feel this stuff coming all over again. Have you ever noticed that the devil a lot of times will find your rejection chain and yank it? And anytime I see it happening one, two, three times in three-day period, all of a sudden you can know it's a rejection thing trying to jump on you. It's your rejection chain, and it's trying to be yanked. And the devil will go around and he will yank your rejection chain. And you can realize something's going on in the supernatural. How much rejection do you have in your life? How deep of a wound is it? You know, there's deep roots of rejection. It's a belief inside of you that basically that you're unloved. I think one of the coolest scriptures in the Bible, and the reason everybody likes this scripture, it says, for God so loved. And I think when we realize that deep down that God is in love with us, that God so loved our life, and all of a sudden all the roots of rejection, all the deep wounds, God can heal those in a second's time. Rejection at birth. Some people have been rejected at birth. They find out they're growing up, they're going along in their life, and they find out they were unwanted at birth. Or they find out maybe they were adopted and they didn't know it. Or they know that their parents left, or there was divorce, or their parents wanted the opposite sex, and they always told them, man, we wish you had been a girl, or we wish you had been a boy. Or you realize that, oh, great, I'm what caused my parents to have to get married. That's why they have such a thunder and lightning marriage. And you start finding out these little rejection things at birth. Or you wake up and you realize, hey, great, I've entered an unhappy home. And you realize, what happened? One girl told me it was like three days ago. She said, I would have traded my parents for anyone else. She said, we were pieces of trash. And she said, I was so embarrassed. And she said, I wanted to do anything to get rid of my parents. Unwanted, unhappy. And you're sitting there looking at everyone else thinking, man, I wish I had their home. Or maybe you found out your mother was abused and there was violence and all the time you were in the womb and she's carrying you, she's crying, depressed, knocked around and all those different things happen in your life. And those are roots or wounds of rejection that comes in at a very young age. Rejection by a mom. My dad grew up 
And he said, never one time in his entire life did his mom ever tell him, I love you. And so finally my mom couldn't stand it any longer and she said, I know you loved your son. Why did you never one time in his entire growing up tell him that you loved him? She said, oh, I didn't want to make a sissy out of him. His dad was always kissing on him and everything, so she said, I just never told him I loved him. Mothers, mothers, rejections of mothers can do a lot of damage on the inside of you. You know, I've met different mothers of college kids, and I'm like, man, they're insecure. You know, I guess I'd expect because their parents would be well put together, but when they're insecure, if they're rejected, they'll put rejection on the inside of you. You know what, if, if they use their voice a lot to tear into you and say a lot of different things, then that voice becomes internal inside of you as you grow up. And that rejection voice will speak to you as you get older. Rejection by dads. Dad's rejection is very bad. It, it can be verbal or it can be physical abuse. It can be all types of things. In a male, a dad's rejection will usually give them either real low self-esteem or it'll make them very arrogant and cocky. They're going to prove to themselves and the world they're going to make it by themselves. In a girl, usually a dad's rejection will do where the woman is like, man, I'm hungry for a man, I've got to have a man, and they look for a male all their life. Or they'll be one of those type who says, I never want a man in my life. And so it'll take you one extreme to the other, the rejection of a father. Man, one thing you'll find out in counseling is, if any of you go into the ministry, there's so many people's lives that have been traumatized by rejection. And it's the most horrible stories you can ever imagine. You can't even imagine someone could go through those things. I've stood there in a situation to go thank a parent for a, a child and what they had done with the Lord and everything, and I watched him take his other children and put them behind him and go, man, I'm so sorry I had you. You were an accident. I wish you had never happened. And you're sitting there watching them receive those things inside of them. Rejection. Or you hear a parent and they'll start looking at their kid and tell man, you're so stupid. And they start verbally abusing and woundings of rejection go deep inside. Now, at this age, when you get to a certain age, you've got to start realizing, what do you feel about yourself? Rejection of self. Because it moves from rejection of mother, rejection of dad, rejection at birth, into how do you view yourself? What kind of feelings do you have towards yourself? You have a rejection of your looks. Are you one of those that look in the mirror and say, man, I hate the way that I look. I hate what I look like. So a person grows up and they neglect their looks. Are you one of those that look in the mirror and go, man, I love the way I look. <laughs> one way or the other. The rejection, the rejection of your past. Where you sit there and you think, man, I hate myself. Or I can never forgive myself for what I've done. A rejection that comes deep inside of you where all of a sudden you reject yourself at such a deep level that you start rejecting others. I want you to look at Matthew 22, verse 39. Matthew 22, verse 39. I don't want you to miss a very key element. In verse 39, Jesus says, You will love others as what? As you love yourself. And do you agree with me that to be able to truly love other people, you have to love yourself? You cannot give what you don't have. It's unscriptural to not love yourself. And sometimes I think we think it's more holy to hate yourself. If you hate yourself at a core level and do not see the value that God put on your life, that you were worth enough for him to send his son, you will project that onto other people and you will destroy your marriage. You will destroy relationships. 
Your roommate will not be able to stand you, and you will have an attitude that no one can stand to be around. Matthew 22, verse 39, is something that Jesus himself said about the way you love others is a direct relationship with the love that you have for yourself. I want you to look up 2 Samuel 9, verse 8. I think it's funny. you remember what this guy called himself? He said, he called himself an animal name. What did he call himself? He said, I'm a, remember that? To King David. He said, I'm a what? I'm a dead dog. I am a dog that has been squashed in the road by a chariot. I mean, I'm just this dog that's laying in the road and it's dead. You know, if I came up to your door and I was carrying a dog that was dead for, you know, at least several days, and I came up and asked you, Tucker, <laughs> he'd give me a value. How much would this dog be worth to you? How much is a value as a dead dog? And it's interesting that this guy said, I'm nothing more than a dead dog. Why did he think he was a dead dog? Because he was crippled. He was handicapped. And his nursemaid, he was five years of age. They hear his, his father and his grandfather have been killed in battle, King Saul. And all of a sudden, she begins running with him because what happens when a king's killed? They kill all the... Yeah. And so she began running with him with all her strength. She didn't realize that King David had promised... Jonathan, I won't kill anybody in your family. And she falls on this kid, and she breaks both legs, and he becomes a cripple. And he just drug himself around. He laid on his belly, and he drug himself around because he was a cripple, and they didn't have the wheelchairs. He calls himself, he said, I'm just like a dead dog. And you know what? I thought it's interesting. He's a far cry from what his father was. You know, one of the most noble people, I think, in the Bible was Jonathan. And yet this guy, Jonathan's son, looks at his life, looks in the mirror, and he says, I'm nothing more than a dead dog. Jonathan's son used this statement to get himself out of trouble, too. Have you ever noticed someone that uses their rejection complex to get out of trouble? You know, he got in a lot of trouble one time with King David. They said, hey, he was making fun of you. He was a weasel sort of man. He was like, I'm just a dead dog. What harm could I do to you? And they start using their rejection. You know what? Calling yourself a dead dog. It's not humility. And I've seen people, and they bash their head against the wall. They come in, bam, bam, bam. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm no good. I'm not. You know what that is? That's not humility. It's a dead dog. It's worth nothing. It's values at nothing. And a lot of times we use that rejection complex or something bad that's happened to us, and we start seeing ourselves as a dead dog in life. And we start putting on this poor me kind of image. What have you done with the rejection in your life? Most adults, they say, these days don't like themselves. They can't forgive themselves. How about if your attitude is, men have hurt me and I'll make all men pay for it? Those are great women to marry. I hate my family. You better start looking for rejection baggage when you date someone because it's going to go into the next relationship and you're going to marry the damage that's been done in the past. It's amazing how rejection goes into the next generation. You know, it was once said that every man comes into life carrying two buckets, a positive bucket and a negative bucket. All the positive things that are said about you, you put into one bucket. Into the negative bucket goes all the negative, critical comments that you've heard about yourself, all the put-downs, all the sarcastic remarks, all the insensitive things that focus on our weaknesses, inadequacies, failures, and mistakes. And your bucket begins to just fill up. 
You know what's funny? Have you ever sat there and on a, a, a poor me day, you look in your bucket and you fish around to see what all's in there, and you go over them and over them and over them in your mind? It's funny. If somebody rejects you, you'll say that sentence to you a thousand different times, and you'll hear a wham over and over. It's not said once to your, your life. It's like an internal thing of rejection that keeps coming back to haunt you. Some people are like this one big ball of rejection, and they're waiting to explode. And if that person never gets their heart healed by Jesus Christ, they're going to do damage to themselves and everyone that comes across their path. I want you to be looking up 2 Kings 2, verse 23. You know, we had a little saying growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? You know what? I think words come closer to breaking your bones it sticks and stones, right? Second yeah. Kings 2, verse 23. This is a little note taken up from a third grader. Listen to this. How many of you had rejection from classmates? I just can't imagine what Tucker went through with his name. Can you just imagine the rejection? That kid, every day. Okay, so all of a sudden you have this name. You have something about you where people just abuse you. <laughs> and you become this mean little kid and you grow up you know junior high they say the worst stuff it's amazing what comes this note that was taken off it said awful Janet not dear Janet but awful Janet I hope you die but I guess that's impossible but I have some ideas you know what they're going to write this to other people I can tell okay I have some ideas play in the road cut your throat drink poison Four, get drunk. Five, knife yourself. Please do some of this, you big fat girl. We all hate you. I'm praying, oh God, please let Janet die because we are all in need of fresh air. Do you hear me? Because if she don't die, we will all die with her. Think about Janet's bucket. I mean, it's just filling up. Yeah, slop bucket. Yeah, I'm telling you. And every one of you can tell these heartbreaking stories that we could put in this and make everybody cry because everybody has something that makes them crippled in their life that they feel like a dead dog. And you're hiding rejection in different forms. You're carrying around hurts that were said by fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, classmates, all these different people. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can actually come in there and heal the hurt or that scar is going to live with you the rest of your life. 2 Kings 2, verse 23. Would you say this fellow, this great prophet of God, was Elisha was a hair, oh, whoops, a little sensitive about his head? He was a little sensitive, wasn't he? And these guys call him a bald head. If I'm not mistaken in this story, didn't he take the name of Jesus, I mean the precious name that we can rebuke somebody that's fixing to harm us or something, right? Then he do this? Or, or where you can use the name of Jesus if somebody's fixing that. Remember the guys in Dallas that I... Yeah, and he, he curses them in the name of the Lord. Yeah, surely I've never been accused of... All right, so all of a sudden he, he curses them. You know what I want to say here? Dead dogs still bite. You know, and I think it's interesting uh, here of... People that get rejection. I mean, his wife must have said something that morning that just ticked him off. She didn't tell him bald men are beautiful. And he gets up that day, and a couple of rowdy kids, and commentaries are great with this thing. They'll try to take that Hebrew word and say these were not children. They were grown youth. Or they were equivalent to the gangs today. I mean, people hate this story. 
I mean, when these guys get killed by a she-bear, they try everything to make Elisha look better in this thing. I think he had a bad hair day, and he was upset. And all of a sudden, all the rejection inside of him just exploded, and he used his power in a very negative way. <laughs> yeah. Psychology tells us that one of the hardest problems man has to deal with is rejection. One of my classes here, I think Dr. Rainey's, they said that every problem in man, every problem, stems from some form of rejection. I don't know if it goes that far or not. But consequently, the healing of every emotional disorder of man comes from the healing of rejection. Whether it be rejection of self, rejection of others, or rejection of or by God. It is the center, and I agree with this, of most problems, and it's the deepest wound a person can receive. Fear of rejection. How many of you deal with it? Think about it. It's that boy-girl relationship. You know, it's risky, right? And so all of a sudden you think, she's all my thoughts. Mitch, we're talking about guy-girl relationships. It's that moment, and you decide, you are going to ask her out. She's been in your thoughts. She's in your mind. She's the goal for your life. You wake up and you decide she's the reason I breathe every morning. You can't imagine your life without her. You're spending money on her. You're for stalking her. I mean, all this stuff comes on. You've been going on and on. She's a part of every working month. Her time, your money, you're like you're focused with God. Everything goes on a shelf with it. You know, in your mind, she has married you. And yet you haven't had one date with her yet. And it comes that moment. What is it? DTR. It has to happen. And you're going to put it to that very, that very, uh, I just taught that. I just learned it. I had to use it. I wrote the whole Bible study around that. Okay. And it's that one moment in time when it's an all or nothing thing. You're going to ask that magical question to find out whether rejection will be a part of your life. And you're going to ask her out. You go up to her. I mean, everything you dream, you realize that she's going to be your wife. She's going to be your ministry partner when you get it back right with God again. You're going to get all this stuff back in focus and perspective, and you put it all out on the line. Guys, you remember, this is a nervous moment. This is it. This is the one, and she should know it. God has spoken to your life. And all of a sudden, she says, no. Oh, man, girls, think what we're doing. No. Think of a guy who has gone through life and it's been one no after another no after another no. He has fantasized how you were going to say yes. I mean, he thought you were going to grab you. I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that moment in time you went against everything he thought. And so we sit there and realize, reject. what are you going to do with the no's in your life? What are you going to do? What happens after this? What does it do to him? I want to ask yourself, do you define yourself by the opinions of others? How can you handle it? How can you handle no's? Is your life based on how other people feel about you? You know what? There's a little saying that you need to say. Reject rejection. Isn't that good? you got to re reject rejection. You know, honestly, who wants to marry a dead dog? And some of us go around and we get beat down and we get a few no's under our belt and we start feeling like, well, maybe all I deserve is a no. And we start having this dead dog kind of mentality about our life. And it builds a root of rejection inside of us. And you will have to get over this kind of rejection or you will never go on to have a normal life. And, and the devil will steal from you God's best for your life. You know, every single no you get 
is God's way of saying, I've got something better for you. And if you don't see it that way, I am so glad. Who wants to marry a dead dog? Guys, I'm telling you, no kidding. If I think of the people in my path, every no was a blessing leading me to what God had for my life. And if you let the devil beat you down and you get suicidal and you get crazy and you get all this torment going on in your life, you're wasting your life and you're throwing it away and you're making a mockery of what God's done in your life. You know, focus on the family. I think one of the most famous marriages would be James and Shirley, right? What's her last name set for me? James and Shirley Dobson. And there came to a point in this relationship, and we were talking about this the other day, that first of all, James was big man on campus. I mean, she was lowly little sophomore. He was big dog on campus. And man, she just wanted to see if she could get him. And he was like, well, she's chasing me too hard. And so first chance he got, he broke up with her. And so he was visualizing, man, she's going to be crying hard. It's going to be a rough moment in her life. You know, he's really, you know, he said, I'm going to be graduating. You need to date other guys. You know, it's a kind way to say, get lost. And so anyway, he tells her that. Shirley looks at him. She'd been chasing him hard. He was, he was president of the class. She was a lowly sophomore. She looks at him. She says, I've been thinking the same thing. All of a sudden, he wasn't quite so <laughs> sure that his breakup was so smart. He didn't know until years later they're married. You know, it's one of those romantic moments. You're holding each other. And she goes, I went in the door. I shut myself in there, and I cried myself to sleep. But what a girl. I mean, did not show one tear. I mean, she did good. She did good. <laughs> He comes back, and all of a sudden, this little sophomore that was chasing him so hard, I think at the University of California, he's an army has-been. And now she has won like homecoming queen of the whole thing. And I mean, she, he is one of many people. He said, beating on her door, he said that she had broken more parts than Bluebeard himself. And he said he was throwing himself at her. And, and the more he threw himself at her, it was like kind of wait in line, take a number. And he was like, this isn't supposed to be. She's the one for me. And he said, every time I went out with her, he goes, I could feel the space getting more and more between us. We were growing distance. And he said, it was not happening. So he thought, I'm doing something wrong. When you start feeling a lot of rejection in your life, you're going to say, man, I'm doing something wrong. So he sat down, and I thought this was interesting what he did. He said, after one day of a particularly uninspiring date, he said, I sat down at the desk and spent two solid hours thinking what was happening. And during the course of introspection, I realized the mistake I was making. He said, a lot flashed in, inside my head, and I grabbed a pen and wrote 10 changes I was going to make in the relationship. What I like about this is he was honest without playing games, but still he put a little bit more chase back into this. First, he said, I was determined to demonstrate self-respect and dignity and quit begging and groveling at her feet. <laughs> and even if I lost the one that I now love so deeply, he said, second, I decided to convey this attitude every chance that I got. <laughs> this is what he said. I'm going somewhere in life, and I'm anxious to get there. Actually, I'm going nowhere. And I, don't know where I'm going. I love you, and I hope you choose to go with me. If you do, I will give myself to you, and I will try to make you happy, high-maintenance woman. However, if you choose not to make the journey with me, then I cannot force my will upon you, and the decision is yours, and I will accept what you do. He said there were other little elements he wrote down in there. He said it was that moment, but it all centered in on confidence and independence. He said that night he tried this new plan on her. He told her, I'm going somewhere if you choose to go with me. And he, he said all of a sudden, he said she responded beautifully. 
she threw her arms around him and said, James, I think I'm losing you. And he said he saw in her eyes a little glisten of moisture in the moonlight. It's, the rest is history. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 14. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 14 says, A broken spirit, who can endure it? And really, honestly, y'all, when you're broken in spirit, who wants to be around it? It's terrible. Instead, this broken kind of spirit of moaning, thinking the whole world's on top of you, you're throwing it away. You're letting rejection have the best. A broken spirit. It's funny how your personality can manage to please one person and not manage to please another. Kind of like one sermon will please one set of people and not please another, right? I want you to watch what kind of person you are. You go into a church, it's a new church, you go in there and you get the cold shoulder. Man, they're just kind of rude to you. No one says hello, anything like that. One person comes out of there and they go, they don't like me. Second person goes in, gets a cold shoulder, and all of a sudden they say, hey man, something must have gone wrong in their life. They're having a bad day. You see, one person will accept rejection and one person will reject rejection. And it will make all the difference in the outcome of your life. Somehow you always turn out to be the victim in every kind of relationship is very dangerous. I'll tell you what happens. Rejected people act in a way in order to be rejected. They do stuff to make themselves rejected. They do goofy stuff. You know when you're feeling rejected, remember how it is, you can't, you can't quite say what you're trying to say and you stutter and you just you get all nervous and your hands are sweating and you're just, 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 just a bottle of energy and you get, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> rejected people act in a way to be rejected. We have this lady, she comes to visit mom's Bible studies and she is the epitome of rejection. We use her little name to symbolize rejection. She comes in, she's like a little mouse and she's just waiting for someone to reject her and you just think, what will it be this week? So she comes in, you know, and she just looks like you, she's wearing a sign that says, kick me. You know, you want to do her a favor. Rejected people have these rejection complex on them that makes you want to reject them. And that's something that happens in the spiritual realm. So she comes in there, and they had to move out into this other room because we'd been flooded or something. And so anyway, what had happened is everybody sat on the end seats. Now, is that human behavior or what? So the middle seats were empty. So she comes in there. Nobody scoots down for her. Well, nobody saw her come in, you know. So she comes in, and all of a sudden she just, <sighs> she lets out this, <sighs> you know, sign is just something terrible, you know. How they feel it sigh all the time. Yeah, bring sign for So anyway, she comes in, and she just sees that. So she makes her little shuffle back to the door, and she lets it be known. I'm telling you, no one cared enough about me today to give me a seat. Slam, walk out. Oh, rejection. Oh, all the women, you know, they chase her out, tell her they love her, you know. They don't love her. I mean, you want to say, there's the door. Use it. You know, crawl across me. Come on, go up. She comes in. This happened, Mom said this was a month ago. She comes in. Mother is two minutes late. Mother is never late. Two minutes, something had gone wrong. I don't know, she hit a dog or something, you know. She comes in two minutes late. This lady comes shuffling in. She's late. I'm not going to stay here. Slams the door, leaves out. You know, all the women go after her. Runs into my mom and says, you're just so lucky I caught you or I was leaving. <laughs> I'm lucky. <laughs> you know, just rejection. 
Isn't it funny that the very thing she's starving for the most, approval, is the very thing she's throwing away by rejection breeds rejection. You act in such a way to get yourself rejected. Deep down you feel unwanted and it starts making your behavior act like you just like a big old blister of rejection. Okay, I want you to look up Isaiah 2 verse 3. What ends up happening in these kind of cases? You start getting a preoccupation with self. Rejection at first can be real, but it turns into selfishness and self-centeredness where you're totally consumed with yourself. The biggest shock I ever got was, you know, these prideful, arrogant, cocky people. I thought, well, you know, they're, they're not a god. They don't have humility like I do. I'm shy and insecure. You know what I found out? Shy and insecurity is as big a form of selfishness as cockiness. They're both self-focused. They're both from the root of rejection. Isaiah 2 verse 3 is a very prophetic statement. It says, stop regarding man. What is he? He can die by me holding his nose and his breath will be out of him. Stop regarding man. Stop looking for the approval of man. Man's approval becomes a God in your life. If you're a minister, if you're a youth pastor, if you're a prison worker, if you do any kind of devo groups on this campus, if the approval of man is a God in your life, it will destroy what God's going to do with you. One man said, Cursed be my tongue if my tongue should ever become the servant of man. And there's churches and there's places that where man's approval becomes the most important thing. What, what, were you going to say something? Isaiah 2 verse... I'm sorry. Is it 22? Okay. Stop regarding man for his breath is in him. It's the very essence of life. You know, rejection will cause an inordinate amount of seeking man's approval. You'll just want man's approval. You never develop the power to be your own person. You're overtly subject to the opinions and the decisions of others. And you'll feel it inside yourself. You're almost like an approval-holic. You've got to have it. If you don't get the praise and the thanks, and you're motivated by approval, it's one of the most deadly things. You know, it's interesting to me that King David did not lose the kingdom for adultery. But King Saul had it ripped from him for the need for approval. It's funny what God sees as deadly. And the need for approval will destroy what God plans to do in your life. It'll drain your friendships when you draw your identity from someone else other than Jesus Christ. I want you to watch something. Rejection will cause you to want approval more than anything else. Rejection will cause you to be rebellious. Now, isn't it funny? Rejection will cause you to want approval, and then rejection will cause you not to care what anybody thinks. Isn't that interesting? It caused the two extremes in a life. A kid with a lot of hidden anger. I watch it grow up in the church. Their parents are... I'm not looking at you, Keisha. I'm sorry. <laughs> I make eye contact prophetically. Okay, there's a lot of hidden anger. No, I'm kidding you. I grew up in the same church. But anyway, so you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I will never make my parents happy enough to see me lift my hands to God. You know, and you just sit there, you know what will happen? Mom will reach over and poke dead and go, look, 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 it's finally getting into her. She's, she's softening up. And you just don't want to give your parents that kind of pleasure. It's kind of a hidden anger, kind of a rebellion kind of thing. You show it in your clothes, you show it in your piercings, you show it in your tattoos, and everything it is of... I want your attention, but at the same time, you're going, don't stare. 
What do you think you're doing? Looking at me? I'm going to knock the, you know? Have you ever seen that? And it's a rebellion, and it's also a desire for approval, and it's funny because those are rejection and approval being in the same person makes you schizo, and you just become this little, two little things at once. You want everybody's approval, but yet you're begging, begging for someone to trim you down. It's the rebellion inside of you. You know, it's kind of that, I'll show you. I'll throw away my glory, and you will never feel any pride on account of me. It's a rebellious attitude. Talked to a girl the other day. I said, why'd you marry that drug dealer? I said, you weren't in love with him. She said, I grew up in a home. And every time I start to get my mother back, she said, my mother would marry another man. She said, every man in my home beat me, sexually abused me, did all this kind of stuff to me. She said, I grew up with that. She said, there finally came a time after nine years of going through this, my mother threw the man out. She said, she no singer came home from the grocery store and she brought another man home. And she said, that day, I decided I'd get my mother back. She said, my parents were wealthy, or her mother was wealthy. And she said, I thought, what class of people does she hate more than anything else? And she said, I married one of them. You know what happens in your life? You sit there, and you use your whole life to push somebody's buttons. And deep down, it's a root of rejection inside of you. And you, instead of doing the purposes of God on your life, you use your life in a way to punch someone else's. It's an interesting thing that happens where you can be deeply starved for approval and at the same time, rejection causes it to be all the same time and all the same person. Man's approval and rebellion all at the same time, all in the same person. Cycles of rejection and rejection from one generation to the next. And if your parents were highly sensitive Highly full of rejection, I can guarantee you it's going to come down to the next generation. All right, think of some of your odd behaviors. You may have odd behaviors that you use in an attempt to buy yourself some rejection. If you hold on to rejection, you know what? You're going to be a weirdo. It'll come out odd in some way. One thing that happens is you become cynical. You're just kind of sarcastic. You try to act like you're being humorous, but man, you just like pointing out everybody's flaws. I mean, you just dig it in. If you find it, it's just kind of a, yeah. You know what you are? You're covering up your rejection on the inside of you. In women, usually you're loud. In men, it's kind of like this cynical little game you play with your mind. Another thing that happens is pretense. When you get hurt, you pretend you don't care. You're aloof. You don't allow anyone to get emotionally close. Have you ever noticed relationships where nobody can seem to get close to them? And they just kind of keep this distance inside there. Self-defense, not able to give and receive affection. No permanent relationship. You put up walls. You're defensive. Vain imaginations. You think everyone's against you. You think everybody's talking about you. You heard about the guy who'd never been to a football game? So they said, come on, come on, you've got to go to the football game. So after it was over with, it was a great game. It was really close and everything. And so they go, hey, how'd you like the game? He goes, I liked everything. He said, every few minutes, they'd stop the game. They'd all get in a circle and they'd talk about me. He said, I could feel it. <laughs> your imagination works overtime I mean you're always thinking people are talking about me people are thinking about me with a root of rejection a lot of times it's not even the case at all but you're drawing that stuff to yourself one of the most difficult defenses that people use are the type of people you see this a lot in prison is the fighter and really the fighter personality is a covering up for rejection they manage to get themselves fired at every job they go to. 
In fact, if they think they're going to get fired, they'll quit before they get fired. And they have this kind of this cocky kind of... <laughs> you know, it's this kind of test they do to you. They're going to be like, no one else has ever loved me. I'm going to see if you'll love me no matter what I do to you. You know, they test you. They know you're a Christian. They know you're commanded to love. So they think they're God's instrument to see if you can keep the commandment. What is it? I'm under commandment to love you. I've got to. So they try to see if they can break your mind. You get adopted kids. You get kids in a foster home. And I guarantee you they'll try everything in the world to see if you're going to throw them out and not love them. It's an interesting thing that the fighter person will do. We had this guy at church, and he never had any friends. Right when we were fixing to move up to Dallas, I mean, we were nervous. We'd never left Brownwood, and we were leaving all our ministries and everything. He'd come into me, and he'd put the fond Eric grip on my head, and he would take me down to my knees every day. Yeah. And so I'd go down to my knees, and he was this huge guy, Von Eric. Oh, boom. And so anyway, and we were good friends. And then he started taking me by the hair. This is when I lost it. And he started ripping my hair out of my head, and he'd grab hands of hair, and so I forgot that he wasn't my brother, and I knew that I could knock him out by hitting his windpipe. So I started, bam, bam, bam. He walks in, and I'm hitting him as hard as I can. He's pulling my hair and, in the church. And so anyway, so I'm, bam, bam, bam. I'm hitting him like this, and he, he's yanking away. So he him up, what was he, 300 pounds, 350? Wham! He throws him against the kitchen. Was it the refrigerator? So there, yeah, so anyway, it was nice. It was neat. It's in the church. You know, it's got blessed, and Lord, give me the strength of David that I can kill Goliath. And so they're fighting out all this stuff out. You know what? When we got it all down to it, we go, what is your problem? I thought we were friends. He goes, hey, if I could make you hate me, it's not going to hurt me so bad when you leave me. So we've actually used his name to symbolize a person, and they'll do it to you. I mean, it may not be body at grips and pulling your hair out and throwing them into kitchen walls, but I'm going to tell you something. There's something in you that you'll hurt before you get hurt. You'll break up before you get broke up with. You're going to be a fighter, and you're determined. You're never going to let it happen to you in a job, in a marriage, in a situation, and you've got this exterior, and the fighter instinct's the hardest one to see, but they have as deep a root of rejection as anyone else. You're so damaged that stable love scares you to pieces. Peace offerings. You give gifts. And you do things for people. And you're doing it just trying to buy their affection, buy their acceptance, and buy their approval. I want you to look up Job 2.25. This is a crash course leading to self-destruction. Job 2.25 gives you a spiritual principle or a spiritual law. And it works in the area of fear. works in the area of fear of rejection. And Job said, I fear to fear. And what happened to that fear? I fear to fear... Is it not Job 2.25? Try Job 3.25. I should have looked these up. <laughs> you find it? I fear to fear? Okay. Job said, I fear to fear, and that fear, what? Went away from me? Isn't it interesting that what you fear will come upon your life? Did you know what? I feel safe to say that if you fear rejection, you'll do the very thing in life to cause yourself to be rejected. We just lay, she won't be on wall of rejection in our church. She came up to my mom, Mother told her, you better quit this rejection game you're playing or you're going to get burned on it. She said, well, my best friend the other day, you know, we were talking on the phone and everything. And this, how many times would this happen? She thought she'd hung the phone up, her friend. Yeah. <laughs> the friend went on talking, she went on listening. Yeah, it's hard to repair that friendship. But you know what? Mother looked there, you know, no mercy mom. She looked there and said, I told you, you keep this rejection thing up in your life and it would build this rejection. It's your fault. 
Because you have a rejection thing, you're going to draw it to you in your life. We had this guy, he left this week at church. Man, his whole life, he said, I was rejected from the time I was born. He just looks like rejection. Man, he came storming out. Mother's telling me about this. He was kicking things. He was mad. He left the church. And mom stops him at the car and was like, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? And he just goes, well, he goes, the pastor, he just didn't acknowledge so mom meets him in the parking lot. She goes, man, she goes, he loves you. He talks about you all the time. She goes, in fact, and she opens up a check. And she gives it to him. She said, we wrote this for you to bless you on your trip. And he'd been going, well, I don't care if those kids had gone down into Mexico and were sharing those things. What I'm going to do on my mission trip was more important. <laughs> so mom had went to her trunk and she said, we got all these clothes out of his, the pastor's closet to give to you. We wanted you to look good when you left. And I thought, isn't it funny? He could have left on a much better note, but he did the very thing. He has rejection on him. The oversight probably was drawn to him because he has a spirit of rejection on him, and somehow you just forget people that are rejection. You know what? It's like they withdraw, and because they pull away from you, you forget they're there, out of sight, out of mind. You didn't mean to do it. You love them. You got them a check. You got them full of clothes, and they blow up. Y'all, what would have happened if that man had gotten away without ever knowing that? I mean, he would have written off months and months and months of people in Brownwood who loved him, who sowed into him, who blessed him, who did all this stuff because of one thing that happened. And I'm telling you, are you doing that in your life? Are you doing stuff where you've got rejection on your life and you're drawing it to yourself? You've got to have something in your life where you do not hang on to a spirit of rejection because if you hang on to the spirit, you will get yourself rejected. First thing you do to get over it is that you have prayer, confession, and repentance. You need to go back to the scene of the deepest wounds of rejection, and you need to forgive at that moment. It's going to start changing the outside, start changing the way you carry yourself. I met a man I'd never met in my entire life. He said, I saw a vision of you on campus. He said, you had your head down. He said, God's speaking to you. Lift your head up. Lift your head up. And a lot of you, God's telling you, put your shoulders back and lift your head up. God's got the calling of God on your life. It's not a spirit of rejection. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says Jesus was despised. He was forsaken a man. He was one of those type men that said everyone wanted to turn his face from him when they looked upon the cross. He was covered in shame. Corrie Tim Boone said the only thing, the worst thing that ever happened to her was when they made her strip naked in front of those guards in World War II. And she said the only thing that kept her from going insane was thinking, I'd never thought about they stripped Jesus down to crucify him. And on that cross, Jesus bore the rejection for you. And it's the next verse after Isaiah 53, 3 in verse 4 that it says, Surely he bore your griefs and he carried your sorrows. He was rejected in order to carry your rejection. And you think about that day, he had a great day of rejection. Everybody that could did. And it's not so bad having your Judas kill you, but it is hurtful when Peter does it to you. And so he, he had the worst kind of rejection. Everybody he knew scattered from him. I'm sure he could look in that crowd and see people. He had healed their kids and raised them from the dead, and yet the rejection of everything we've ever felt fell upon him. What's the opposite of rejection? Acceptance, belonging. You'll come to a place in your life, in John 12, verse 43, 
For God will mean more to you than the opinion of man. Is it John 12:43? Jesus says it very clearly. He says you've got to come to a place where the approval of God means more to your life than the approval of man. Sometimes I have to tell myself, what God says about me, what God thinks about me, what God tells me to do means more to me than my closest friend, the closest people around me, than my family. That God's approval means more to me than man's approval. The opposite of rejection is acceptance and belonging. I want you to think, it says you're accepted in the beloved, you're accepted in church. If you're always getting yourself hurt in church, something's wrong. Because the acceptance comes in the beloved. It's a place that God put it. If you feel alienated, if you feel those kind of feelings, you've got to come to the place where you get accepted in the beloved. We have this man, man, he, his wife, all of his kids, his family, they were all in church. He built the library onto our church. And he quit. And we're like, we started investigating why this guy quit coming to church. You know what happened? Our ushers are as cute as they can be. I mean, they're clowns. I mean, if you ever meet them, they'll bet with you on a football game. I mean, they're real people. They're not hypocrites. They're not jerks. They're real good, aren't they? Scott Brown, Cornelius. I mean, you never met a pair like this pair. I mean, if you heard their testimony, Scott was a quadriplegic, fell off a porch, broke his neck, got saved, and God healed him. He stood up out of that wheelchair. Scott, the first thing God did in his life was take the track marks out of his arm. I mean, Scott's a walking hood. I mean, Huddy, Renee's father. I mean, Hood was in the, uh, that, that tunnel they dig between the White House. Did you know? She was like uh, head of the, uh, his wife, housekeeping in the White House, and he rode in that tunnel in the underground between Virginia. I mean, these are cool people. You know what happened to this family? One of them reached out, we don't know which one, to hand them a, a bulletin. And someone else walked in and they handed it to them. They didn't see, and the guy said, he pulled it right out of my hand. He probably did. <laughs> so he called everybody and he's like, quit the church. I've been rejected. Oh, I'm not kidding you. And, and you would, I'd look at this family and I'd think, no way would that guy do that. And that was his whole thing. The brochure came out of it. Y'all, I'm going to tell you, the devil will see to it. Reject rejection. If you're a pastor, you will go through your life, Matt, trying to make all these rejection people not go away. And you cannot keep rejection from happening to everyone. You're constantly working on this problem of rejection. Guys, I'm going to tell you, you start preaching, tell them, get yourself healed. I don't give my bread to dogs. And you start calling them dog long enough that if they're going to leave, they'll leave in the first hour of the service and not the last. And Jesus just kind of beat all the rejection out of everybody. You know what? I think it's funny. You've got to love Christ, love the church, love his people. Matthew 10, verse 29 and 31 verse tells you, hey, you're worth more than a sparrow. He says, even a, a dead sparrow, God cares about. He said, they're worth at least two cents. You're worth more than them. You know what I'm going to tell you? If a dead sparrow is worth something to God, I bet a dead dog is too. <laughs> <laughs>